You are listening to the Vine Church Sermon Podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more information about the Vine Church, please visit our website at www.thevinemadison.org. Ecuador team, calling the Ecuador team. I wonder if... Yes. James D., you coming up? Who else we got? James, do you want to grab Chase there? Is he available? He's unavailable. Well, we got you three. You guys are a great team. And we got James. James, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about this Ecuador trip and what's going on? Yeah, we are. It'll, he'll get it there. Uh, yeah, we're excited. We're going to leave Saturday morning, uh, uh, a little bit later in the morning, about 3 o'clock in the morning. Um, Usually we get up about 2, 2.30, we decide as a team. Uh, but no, we're, we're headed down for a week of just working on the property of Compassion Connection, uh, which we're connected with um, as a church. Um, and Compassion Connection is a ministry that uh, focuses on uh, biblical training of Ecuadorian pastors and leaders. Um, and so they host a lot of trainings and retreats and just equipping type um, elements on their property. So we can kind of think of like a camp. A lot of us have been to like a youth camp or retreat center. Um, And so with that comes a lot of just repair and maintenance and upkeep. And so we have a team of seven of us going down just to do that for a week to be a blessing uh, to the property that really we uh, entrust that will further the ministry, the mission of Compassion Connection, which is to see just healthy gospel-centered churches uh, planted and sustained in Ecuador. So we're excited. We got a great crew. Um, these guys Let's are. Let's introduce these guys. What's up? Should we introduce these Let's guys? Let's introduce them. Hey, guys. Well, why don't you uh, tell us your name? Uh, maybe one thing you're excited about for this trip, why you're excited to go? Uh, I'm Nick Zeal. I'm part of the Yahara City Group. And I'm just excited because it's my first international trip and first time to Ecuador. Nice. So super excited to go down. Sean Vandermolen, the Elver Park City Group. And I was down last November in, what, 21? Was that now? Yeah, I guess a year and a half ago. Um, so I'm just excited also to go back and see everyone again and yeah. reconnect. Awesome. Yeah, give it up for Sean. I'm Chris Heitkamp from the Duns Marsh City Group. Thank you. Um, I also went down uh, November of 21. Um, I'll be happy to see everyone again and enjoy some of Lucho's food. Yes, Lucho is uh, the, uh, he reigns over the kitchen and he, uh, it's a good rule and reign over the kitchen. He cooks very, very well. Um, Yeah, we're going to pray for these guys. Uh, There's going to be hopefully uh, multiple trips. Um, I'll be returning in May to do kind of the teach conference with Ben Hacker from Eastside Church and maybe a few other folks. Um, but we're hoping this can be an annual thing where we take a, a group of anybody who's willing to go and serve. And so we're so excited for these guys. And there's a lot of other folks that are serving now in Next Gen that would be up here. So um, you want to just tell who else is going? Yeah, Emily Jensen is coming along with Arresta Rule and then Chase Ritter. Awesome. So there's seven of us. So a great team. Great team. Well, um, let's pray and let's ask God to really bless this time. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for these brothers and sisters who by faith step out um, outside of their comfort zone uh, to a place a long ways away where you rule and reign just like you rule and reign here. Um, 
Lord, we pray that this team would be deeply united to you and to one another. Father, we pray that you would um, just expand their capacity, uh, that they would be able to get done things that they didn't even think they could get done when it comes to being a blessing to how you're making disciples at this property in Ecuador for the sake of healthy churches and healthy leaders. And so um, may they just feel connected to that. Uh, may they not just be um, swinging hammers or doing demo or building something, uh, but may they remember that this work is connected to um, making disciples. And so, Lord, we know that's why you call us to go. And so I'm so thankful for these folks and may continue at our church. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Let's give these guys a hand. All right. Thank you guys so much. Thank you so much. Well, we're continuing this morning in the book of 1 John chapter 4. If you have a Bible, open it up to 1 John chapter 4. If you're new to your Bible, 1 John is at the end of the New Testament. And we've been working our way verse by verse through 1 John. And we're nearing the end. We'll be finishing up 1 John in the next few weeks. Then we're going to do a, uh, a short series on communion and baptism and church discipline. Historically, the three main markers uh, that makes um, the church unique, uh, communion, baptism, and, and church discipline. We're going to talk about those things. And then after that, we're going to move into a series uh, in the Old Testament out of First and Second Samuel on the life of David. And so I'm really excited about that. David's life is crazy. I mean, amazing ups, amazing downs, tons of drama. Um, and to see God work his way through his plan, through his life, um, it's very encouraging for all of us because we can completely relate to the ups, the downs, the sin, the victories, the losses. You know, that's David's life. That's all of our lives in some sense. And so I'm really looking forward to having us walk through the life of David um, this spring and then into this summer. Well, let's, let's pray again that God would give us ears to hear as we look at his word this morning. God, we pray that you would um, give us ears to hear. We see that as a theme through your scriptures, that we would be people who listen, that you speak and we listen. And, and Lord, may it not just be information that passes through our ears and, and into our brains, but may it actually be comprehension that leads to transformation. Um, and I pray that, this, especially this morning, such a pivotal text, the heart of the gospel, with such important application, Lord, I pray that you would give us ears to hear this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So 1 John chapter 4, starting in verse 13, I want to go back and I want to just real quick review what James preached so well last week and how that connects to our text for today, starting in verse 17. So let me read, starting in verse 13. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. 
So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. All right, so review of last week. Let's review what this says. Super important. When you see and recognize, like it says in verse 14, let your eyes look at verse 14. We have seen, John is saying, it's like I've seen it. The other apostles with me have seen it. And now you can trust my word. That's a type of seeing, right? When you see and recognize that Jesus came into the world to save you, see verse 14, that Jesus is the Savior saving us, Savior of the world. And when you believe that and confess that, look at verse 15, God abides in you. Whoever confesses that, whoever believes that, Jesus is the true Son of God, God abides in him. And he and God. That's just another way of saying why we have the name of the church that we have. The vine and the branches. God abides in us. We abide in him. A vine is connected to the branch. The branch is connected to the vine. They go together. They're united. That's the picture here, okay? When you believe that, when you know that God loves you, Man, he, you are connected to him in a vital, life-giving way, just like a vine and a branch, okay? So look at the connection. This is how we know that God has loved us because verse 14 is true. Look at what it says again. We've seen and testified that the Father sent his Son. So we know verse 14 is true, that, that God the Father sent the Son to save us. We couldn't save ourselves. We need someone outside of us to save us. So since that's true, the sending sacrificial love of God is true, then verse 16 is true, right? So we have come to know and to believe that the, that, that the love, I'm sorry. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. So when you see the sending sacrificial love of God in the life of Jesus, life, death, resurrection of Jesus sent to us, for our salvation, and you own it, you believe it, you trust it, you know that God loves you. Those historical facts connect to my present-day feelings, okay? Those historical facts that I look to and I trust in, God, you really did it, so now I trust really in my life right now that you love me. See how the history connects to present-day experience, it's a really big deal, okay? God loves me, and I love him. That means you're a Christian. That's what John is saying here, okay? But James helped us see last week. And now we jump to our text for today, verse 17. Look at it with me. So by this is love perfected with us. So by, by what? What's the this? By this. His love is perfected with us. Well, he's just referring to what he just read, right? He's just referring to what he just read in 13, 14, 15, 16. By trusting this message, sending sacrificial love of Jesus, come into the world. When I believe that, know that, see that God loves me, meditate on that. 
His love is perfected in me. Right? Well, how, how does that work? How does that work, John? Well, I think what John wants us to see is because of this, this is true, we understand our identity. We understand our identity. What's your identity? You are loved. You are a loved one. You are one who is loved by God. That's who you are. So somebody stops you on the street and asks you, who loves you? You might be rejected by everyone in the world. You might be the ultimate outcast in the world. But based on God's truth that he is speaking to us this morning through his word, you can have the settled and sure confidence that if everyone rejects you, God loves you. God loves you. The God of the universe loves me. The God of the universe loves us. And that's put on display in the facts of history at the sacrificial cross of Jesus where he bore God's wrath in our place, rose from the dead so that I can know that it's all true. And that I too, when I am united to him by faith, will one day rise just like Jesus rose from the dead and enjoy him forever in the new heavens and new earth. That's my identity. And as I continue to meditate on who I am, said differently, when I continue to meditate on who God says I am, not who I think I am, who God says I am, one who is loved by him, when I continue to meditate on that over and over again, his love continues to be perfected in me. When I, when, I, when I read verse 14 of chapter 4 and verse 16, yeah, like there is a sending sacrificial love of God that actually has happened in history, and God tells me that that's how I can know that he loves me. Man, I, I'm going to believe that. I believe that. By faith, I do. And then as I do that over and over every day, that love continues to be solidified, perfected, that foundation becomes more and more solid in my walk with the Lord. I meditate on it day and night. In my Bible reading, I see it as I meditate on God's word and what he wants to say to me through his word. Every day as I read my Bible, I'm reminded, oh yeah, God does love me. I got all these emotions making me feel rejected. I got all these emotions making me feel alienated, isolated. But you know what? I'm not going to listen to those lies. I'm going to listen to the promises of God. I'm going to plant my flag right there. But in our text for today, John wants us to get that, like settled fact. God loves you. Own it. Know it. It's not just some wishy-washy thing. It's rooted in history. Facts of history. But now, because that's true, there's another massive application for our lived experience as human beings. And the question is, that we're going to see today, is how does this settled love that you have for God, that he has for you, how does that relate to fear? More specifically, fear of God. 
Now, the Bible uses the word fear of, of the Lord, fear of God in, in different ways, okay? So one of the ways that the word fear is used is like reverence or respect, okay? Reverence or respect. That's not the sense of fear in this text today. The sense of fear in this text today is more like terror or dread. Terror or dread. Look at verse 17 again. By this is love perfected with us. Okay, so love is, is being perfected. That settled confidence, facts of history, being solidified in my heart. Why? Well, here's why. So that we may have confidence for what? The day of judgment. That's a, that's a strong statement. Confidence for the day of judgment. So look at, before we dive into it, look at the logic. If my love is perfected, growing more and more solid, I'm settled in the fact that God loves me, that leads to confidence. Confidence for what? For the day of judgment. So the Bible says very clearly, doesn't blush, that there is a day of judgment coming. Over and over again, there's a day of judgment coming. A day when all things will be made right. Like, like the scales of justice, the scales of justice are not balanced in our world, are they? We know that. All you got to do is, is turn on the TV, read the headlines on the internet. Scales of justice are not balanced in our world today. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. But the Bible promises that one day they will. One day they will. It's a day of judgment. And the Bible talks about it in a lot of different ways. We can look at some of these on the screen. Malachi the prophet, he wrote this. He said, surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. And the arrogant and every evildoer, evildoer will be stubble. And the day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left to them. In the New Testament, John the Baptist says this to a, to a people um, that needed to repent. He said, flee from the coming wrath. And then Paul wrote this in Romans chapter 2 to those that would not repent of their sin. He said, because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you're storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. So judgment day is a sure thing. The Bible doesn't blush. But for those who are in Christ, this is what John is saying this morning, those who trusted and treasured Jesus and have done, um, and what he has done to save those who are undeserving, what is judgment day? It's not a day of terror. It's not a day of fear. Right? He goes so far to say that's a day of confidence. Right? That's what he says, right? Verse 17, look at it again. I'm not making it up. So that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. God wants us to be so settled 
in the fact that he loves you, seen in the cross and the empty tomb, that we don't hesitate to have confidence on the day of judgment, the ultimate day of judgment, right? Why? Because we know the judgment's already been rendered. The, the verdict has been stamped on the papers. Not guilty. Free to go. Jesus took that guilt and bore it for us as the sacrificial lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But see, if we don't know this love and feel it down to the depth of our bones, the idea of judgment, it feels really scary, doesn't it? See, if we don't know the love of the judge and trust the love of the judge, the day of judgment, man, that's scary. If we don't have a relationship with the judge and know his character based on seeing what he's done in the past, the day of judgment just feels really scary, right? Let me give you a few illustrations that I think can really make this hit home for us. The first illustration that comes to mind is, for me, being a kid and getting called into the principal's office. Day of judgment, right? Didn't, yeah, some of you know. Like, I have a, this is a, this is a really silly, silly illustration, but bear with me because this is the most poignant, like, fifth grade mindset day of judgment that I've ever had, okay? So I got to, I got to, I got to give you some facts of the of the scenario here. So hang with me for a second. Um, fifth grade, we have to go to the library to do little projects. We sit at the tables together, work on little projects, and it's quiet. And I'm I'm sitting in that, sitting there with with Holly Maxson. Holly Maxson was one of the cute girls, one of the popular girls, right? And unfortunately, we're sitting in the quiet library. And she passes gas. And, I mean, that's a capital offense for a fifth grader, right, in the library. I mean, that's super embarrassing, super embarrassing. So in my mind, I'm thinking, well, I need to capitalize on this, right? So I immediately get up, and I'm about ready to race back to the classroom to tell this scandalous news. And she's like, wait, Zach, wait, wait. If you don't tell anybody, I'll give you a dollar. And I'm like, we got a business opportunity here, right? So I'm like, that sounds good to me. So I'm thinking to show up school the next day, going to have a dollar, you know, going to feel great. Well, she doesn't bring her dollar the next day at school. So again, like if there's any kids in the room, I don't think there is. Like this is a diabolical fifth grade mindset. Like don't do this. But I'm like, hey, this is like mafia mindset. Next day, it's $2. Right? So I tell her, well, if you don't bring it tomorrow, it's $2. Every day is another dollar. Horrible. Horrible. Well, the next day, the following day after that, she doesn't show up to school. And I just think, well, you know, maybe she got sick or whatever. So we're sitting in class, and um, the teacher gets a, a call, and she goes, answers the phone in her office, comes back out. And I hear these words, Dr. Dowd would like to see you in his office. My blood runs cold. 
Dr. Dowd is the principal, okay? And he's scary. Now, I'm, I'm fifth grade, little guy. I mean, he was like this towering figure, big guy, Dr. Dowd. He never smiled, right? And we all knew that Dr. Dowd had a paddle in his office. This is the 80s, right? It was wild back then. He could have been doing coke in his office for all I knew, right? (laughs) Here's the deal. Like, I had no relationship with Dr. Dowd. I didn't know what he was up to. I didn't know if he was a good guy. All I knew was that he was big and he never smiled. He's the principal. And I'm getting called to his office. So I, I, I just remember that feeling of terror, walking down to his office, walk into the office. Hello, Zach, have a seat. He sits me down. I'm just sitting there like, oh, boy, what is about to happen? And he looks at me and he says, Zach, do you know what the word extortion means? <laughs> and I'm like, uh, I'm sorry, I don't. He has this big dictionary on his desk, hands it to me. He's like, why don't you look it up? So I'm like, E, X, uh, you're going to have to help me with the next one. So he, he, he explains to me the concept of extortion and how, how I was relating to Holly Maxson corresponded to that definition of extortion. And that's a really big deal, and you don't want to do that. And, of course, I'm just, like, mortified and... He, I think he made me call her mom and, like, apologize, and I don't even remember how it worked out. But she came back to school, all was forgiven, and it was fine. But here's the point. Why was that walk to the principal's office so terrifying for me? So, so much so that I'm standing here almost 40 years later telling the story. Because I didn't know Dr. Dowd. All I knew was that he was scary. And in my fifth grade mindset, anything could have happened, right? That was like a form of the day of judgment. Like, you screwed up, there will be a judgment rendered, and it could be really bad for you, right? I don't know if he's got my best interest in mind. I don't have any experience about, like, who he is, what he's done in the past, what his track record is. Let me give you a, another illustration that's much more serious. I have a friend who's going through a divorce. And in a divorce, you can try to negotiate and settle out of court. Or if you can't get that squared away, you can go to court and take it to the judge. And as I've been talking to my friend, um, you know, I'm just telling him, like, man, he's kind of worked up, like, feeling like there's some injustice happening in terms of the divorce and how things are getting sorted out. And he's like, let's go to the judge. Let's go to the judge. And I just, um, he doesn't know um, the court system very well. And I was just trying to let him know, like, man, you don't have a relationship with this judge. Like, you can negotiate, and that's good, or you can roll the dice. If you roll the dice, things might not work out for you the way that you think they will because the judge might not, See things your way. The judge might have a perfect spotless track record of doing everything by the book. Or the judge could be kind of corrupt. 
Or the judge could have maybe just a background where, you know, maybe it's a female judge and she's had real bad experience with men and she just kind of wants to like stick it to men and, and divorce. You know, who knows? There's crazy stories in our world all the time about judges that don't do things exactly by the book. So because you don't know the judge, because you don't have any experience of their track record, of their character, like that could be a very, very bad situation for you because you don't know what you're going to get, right? It's a form of day of judgment. I mean, that's literally what we call it in a court. There will be a judgment, right? Let me give you a, a positive example. We, we are initiating um, a process of staff evaluations at our church, and I'm first up. And uh, we've done some of this informally in the past, but now we just want to formalize it a little more. And so that's a form of day of judgment, right? You have your, your peers, people that, that work with you, and, and a few others that have been asked that are in the room right now to li like literally judge me. As a, as a pastor, as a leader, and evaluate, right? That can feel kind of scary. I mean, y'all have, some of y'all have, uh, you know, staff or evaluations at, at work, and that can be a little, little nerve-wracking, right? Like, what's the judgment going to be? But in this case, like, I don't have a lot of fear. Why? Not because I'm perfect or not because I don't have things to work on, but because I know the character of those that are rendering the judgment. I have lived experience with them. I have a lot of things to draw on in my background that say to me and remind me, these people aren't out to get me. They do love me. I've seen that through facts of history in my relationship with them. These people love me. They're not out to get me. And anything they tell me for improvement is going to be for my for my blessing and for yours, right? So it's not a scary day of judgment. Why? Because of relationship, because of the facts of history, because of trust that's been established over years, right? See the point of all these examples, negative or positive? John is saying that the day of judgment is not one of terror for Christians because what? Because we know the judge. We have a relationship with the judge. We have facts of history connected to the judge. That's the basis of our confidence. It's the foundation of our confidence. The judge has demonstrated his deep love for us. See, when you have knowledge of the character of the judge through lived experience, you have a confidence on the day of judgment, whether it's the principal's office, the courtroom, or a staff evaluation. When you know that the judge loves you deeply, you can have confidence that they are not out to get you. When you have experienced this love through relationship over time, it brings great confidence and, like the verse says, casts fear aside. And that's John's point. Look at, look at verse 18. You see him continuing to work this out. Another way of saying confidence is no fear. That's what verse, look at verse 18. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out, gets rid of it. 
banishes it, casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So fear has to do with punishment. But the message of the gospel is there is no more punishment for the people of God because the punishment has already been meted out, delivered. The punishment happened at the cross. It's done. It's done. Punishment's never held over you again like a promise of vengeance if you place your trust in Jesus. He took the punishment. Right? Punishment is over. It's not a category for Christians anymore. Because the punishment has been finished, taken away from you. And that's what John is trying to convince ancient Christians of and us today. And then finally, just one other thing that's going to really gird up your confidence is verse 19. He's saying, we love, and I think based on the context, you could say, we are perfected in love. We love, why? Because, the reason, what's the reason? Because he first loved us. So there's primary and there's secondary, right? The primary mover of love is God himself. God initiated. He is the initiator of love for you. It wasn't like you tried really hard to impress him with your love, and then he's like, oh, I'm kind of like unwilling and begrudging this, but okay, I guess I'll love you. That's not how it is. That's not what the Bible says. Remember the progression. God made the first step. You didn't convince God to love you. God chose to love you before the foundation of the world. That's Ephesians chapter 1. Like it was always the plan to send Jesus and have people experience the sacrificial sending of love of God through Jesus. So we look to the past to see how much God loves us. He loved you first. He made the way first. He set his affection on you first. Before you ever uttered a word of praise, sang a song in church, his love was drawing you in. That's your foundation. That's the history of God in the world and in in anybody's life who says they're a Christian. And and this, this foundation is not your fickle feelings that go up and down or church attendance or your record of good deeds or whatever. That has nothing to do with it. John says what's really important What you really got to know and how you're really going to be perfected in your love for God is when you know that he loved you first. He was the initiator. He was the primary mover. So we love because he first loved us. Your identity is, quote, one who is loved by God. That's who you are. That's who you are. So he wants us to own that to embrace that, to be secure in that. And when that's the case, when you know that the judge of all the earth, the one that will come with a day of judgment, that will be fierce, fearful for many, many people, says it's a day of confidence for you. Why? Because, because God loves you. 
he gave himself to you so you can glorify him forever for his love, for his patience, for his goodness, for his mercy. That's where true peace resides. When you have that kind of confidence, right? That's where there's no more terror of God in his, in his final day of judgment, but simply worship, praise, adoration, thanksgiving for this mysterious, marvelous grace. Let me close with this. When you know this verse, the day of judgment is not one of fear. Fear like terror forever banished. And I just want to remind you again that this is how, moving from John to Paul, this is how Paul prayed. This is exactly how Paul prayed. It's exactly in keeping with John's heart for an ancient church and for us today. And, and Kim prayed it this morning. I just want to read it again just to underscore the truth of this. Actually, you know, we should, let's read it together. Okay, that's a great way for us to solidify this and model that we're in this together. It's a great summary of this sermon. Let's read this together. Uh, it's Ephesians 3, 14 through 19. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, and the length, and the height, and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Amen.